Hey everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today we are continuing a series that I'm, uh, well, it's really going throughout, you know, pretty much the entire year of 2021. And we're looking at the Enneagram. And if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's uh, an ancient uh, spiritual personality test that has that we've talked about several times on the podcast. And if this is your first time hearing about it, um, I'll link to some old episodes that we've done uh, on the Enneagram. And I would just check those out first. But in the series, we're highlighting uh, a different type of personality that people fall into. And today... I am talking with Hunter Mobley, who uh, is an Enneagram 2. And so today we're talking about Enneagram 2s. Hunter has recently released the book, or really it's a devotional, of 40 Days on Being a 2 Enneagram Daily Reflections. And so I'm excited to talk with him about Enneagram 2s and just kind of his experience as that, as being a, a, a type 2 as well. And we're going to get into that here in just a couple of minutes. But before that, I do have a couple of shout outs that I want to give really quick. I want to say thanks to Garrett Oler, who continues to edit the podcast as well. And for Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast without the both of them, the podcast would not be as great as it is. And just super thankful for the both of them and how, um, how much that they help me in terms of the podcast and even just their friendships as well. And so also, if this happens to be your first time listening to the podcast, I want to tell you a little bit about the Learner's Corner here. We want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations. And what I mean whenever I say dangerous is that some conversations, you're not entirely sure how the other person is going to respond. And maybe you're afraid that you might be shamed or judged or um, or they might say something harmful or hurtful because of whatever the topic is. And here on the Learner's Corner, we truly want to create a safe place to have these types of conversations to where nothing, where it's not harmful, it's not hurtful, it's not dehumanizing, it's not uh, judgmental as well. And so that's really the heartbeat behind this podcast and why we talk about so many of the things that we do, because as much as we are, um, you know, a podcast for lifelong learners, you know, we want to create a safe place to have those types of conversations that can lead to, you know, personal growth, spiritual growth, uh, growth in leadership, or as a leader, or as as a woman, or as a man, or or whatever whatever stage of life that you find yourself in. And so, today we are talking about the Enneagram. We've released an episode about Type Threes as well, and we'll have uh, some future episodes coming. We'll have one for each and every single type coming up as well. But I want to tell you a little bit about our guest today, Hunter. Hunter has completed a multi-year old-fashioned apprenticeship with Suzanne Stabile, who has been on the podcast before, uh, as formation for his Enneagram teaching ministry at conferences, retreats, corporate events, and churches. He is uh, a teacher at Suzanne and Joe Stabile's teaching center, the Micah Center, in Dallas, Texas. He is a former executive pastor at Christ Church Nashville, which is home of the Grammy-nominated Christ Church Choir. In addition to his Enneagram teaching, he maintains an estate planning law practice in Nashville and teaches as an adjunct professor at Belmont University College of Law. And I'm just super excited for us to have this conversation. And so without any further wait, here's my conversation with Hunter Mobley. 
Hunter. It is so great to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you. Great to be with you, Caleb. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And you've recently come out with this devotional, 40 Days yes. on Being a Two. And uh, just as uh, we get started, anytime that I you know, have a conversation with somebody who has created some type of work of art or book or anything, yeah. I love hearing the story behind, hey, what made you want to put this out? into Absolutely. the world. So would you mind just sharing that? Yeah, yeah, I love that question. So the beautiful thing, you know, how the world just kind of sometimes creates open windows for us to do creative endeavors. It kind of worked that way for me. I had been pastoring the church for 6 years. I ended that season um last November. And I was I had about 2 or 3 months that were dedicated to just writing. But I wasn't writing this book Um, I was working on a different book with the Enneagram and right at the very first of that little window, I get a call from an editor at InterVarsity Press in Chicago who said, hey, we've got this series, you know, that we're thinking about doing. Would you like to write the devotional for twos? And just through that that set of conversations, um, I ended up realizing, yeah, you know, this is a great opportunity to be a part of a really fun, engaging series and jump into this. And so it just worked out perfectly that I'd already kind of blocked out those three months to write. Um, And so I was really able to kind of turn attention to this and, and get everything, you know, ready for our release this past October. So it's been really fun to see the book come to life. Now, it was it was interesting because it was written before COVID you know, mm-hmm. the pandemic that we live in. And then it was edited and, you know, put to print during COVID. So what a strange time and year um, to write a devotional. And so I, I had to make a few little tweaks to just kind of at least mention the elephant in the room. Um, but it's been, it's been great to see that come to life. Mm-hmm. What, what did you end up adding or changing because of COVID? Well, you know, in a way, there's several places where you talk about stress and you talk about change and you talk about transition. There were several, you know, entries and and days that were addressing those kind of topics. And so it just felt crazy to not mention this as kind of one of the the pinnacle examples that we're all experiencing so that when people got it in October and when people continue to read it, you know, we're all in this kind of collective world now where this is what we're thinking about. So I was, I was grateful that we had some opportunities to at least just mention it so that, um, so that, you know, (laughs) the elephant was addressed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What, what did your initial process look like for discovering the Enneagram and learning about you being a type two? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I've become in the last few years, Caleb, really a fan and kind of a devotee of Parker Palmer and some of his Quaker spirituality. And Mm -hmm. one of the beautiful things that you learn in Quaker spirituality is that, that there's this idea called way will open and way will close. Mm. And the idea is that, you know, you, you don't kind of go into life with your fist clenched, you know, charging ahead, you, you respond to life and events in more of kind of an open way to, to paying attention and to noticing, you know, what's opening, what's closing. Let me walk through the doors that are opening. Let me not push against the doors that are closing. And so for me coming into the Enneagram was really a way will open moment where I was in Florida and I was at a dinner party and I was just seated at the table next to Suzanne Stabile, who, you know, a lot of your listeners will know is a really wonderful voice and teacher 
um, and kind of national Enneagram treasure. Mm-hmm. And we were just seated next to each other. I'd never heard the word Enneagram. I didn't know that she taught the Enneagram. And while we were eating our chicken and potatoes, and we're both twos, so we naturally mm-hmm. struck up a, a little rapport and we became fast friends. And through that, just being seated at a dinner table next to her, I learned about the Enneagram, of course, became a friend of hers. And ultimately, all of that allowed me to become an apprentice of hers. And now she and I work together and we teach together out of a, a joint ministry, Life in the Trinity Ministry mm-hmm. in Dallas. And so I love that because I think so much of that, Caleb, speaks to speaks to my type too as well. But the whole way that I heard about the Enneagram, became introduced to it, and then ultimately became a teacher in it and a, and a writer in it was through a relationship over a dinner table. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't all that hard for me when I started to to learn about the Enneagram and, and go to my first lecture, you know, that she led just a few weeks after that dinner party um, to hear the two described and realize that that was, that that was the type that fit me the most. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how being a type two, how would you describe the type two? Well, you know, I, what I like to do, Caleb, I'm one of the people who I don't love the labels given yeah. to each of the types. And and that's, I think for some people, they're helpful because some people just learn in a way where they need kind of a, a label to attach rather than a number. But yeah. what I don't love about the labels is sometimes with the labels, when we say ones are perfectionist and twos are helpers, in a way we're describe we're describing each type through a behavioral adaptation that they make. And ultimately Mm -hmm. the types are really more about motivations and longings and desires than they are about behavior. So um, for me, when I describe any type and particularly twos, I usually begin with the childhood wound. And I say, these are people who from an early moment in life, they learn that they should not have too many needs of their own that they should be able to just kind of be okay, go along and get along, and that they will find love if they are helpful and attentive to everybody around them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of the, that's in a way the core of the core of the core. That's the seed that the type two is um, birthed from, is really that message that you just kind of attach to in those early childhood years. And of course, with all of the wounds that the Enneagram types are built around, it's a mixture of nature and nurture, right? We, it's yeah. a mystery. Some of us, it's very easy to see that our environment was putting that message into our ears, but some of us, it's not as easy, but still we attach to one of those wounding messages early. And then we build this whole framework of personality and this whole set of behaviors and adaptations around that wounding message. Yeah. And just just as I was uh, preparing for our conversation, one of one of the quotes in your book that really stood out to me that I would love uh, just you to elaborate on is, as twos, our wounds teach us to minimize our own needs and feelings. And I had never thought about it that way from like for uh, yeah. for the twos in my life. Can you just elaborate on that and kind of what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So. So, you know, we've all got these kind of neuroses, you know, but the one for two is we have this sense that if we express our needs, if we express our feelings, we have this sense that other people 
may not really want to meet them, may not really be there to meet them. Other people may not really have room to deal with our feelings and needs. And if, and if we do express them, that that might actually push other people away because they might say, wow, you're too, you're too needy. You need too much from me. And so they might walk away. So, so what we've learned to do is to, is to say, okay, so let me put my needs and my feelings aside and let me figure out what your needs and feelings are so that I can meet them for you. And if, and in a way it's like, here's the trap that we get into is too, is we feel like if you need me, then maybe you want me. And if you want me, then maybe you'll love me. And so it's this whole journey of discovering and finding love through being helpful, attentive to other people and not taking up too much space for ourselves. Yeah. I, I would love to hear um, just kind of what does, what does daily life look like for you that maybe people in the other types don't even realize. Like the thing that I think about is like uh, we were talking earlier, my best friend, Todd, he is a type yeah. two. Yeah. And one of the things that I've just learned and that he's told me is I can enter into the room and I can almost feel the emotional state of everybody in this room. Absolutely. And me being a type three, that doesn't happen naturally. <laughs> are, are right. there th- are, I was going to say, are there things like that, that you Ooh, yeah. or that you've learned that other type twos, like it just comes very natural to them, but not to other types. You know, I think Caleb, each type has their strengths. And I think one of the great strengths for a two, which is also, you know, part of our challenge is that twos are one of the most emotionally intuitive numbers on the Mm-hmm. Um, and so your friend is right. We, this is our blessing and our curse. We walk into rooms and we immediately start picking up feelings and we immediately start picking up emotions that other people are, are feeling and processing around us. And the, the beautiful thing about that is that equips us to address them or to care for people or to be empathetic, um, and be compassionate. But the difficult thing is it, it takes up a lot of emotional energy for us. And mm-hmm. um, it's a lot, it, it all sometimes kind of feels like these, these, you know, backpacks that you're putting on your back or something. And it gets heavy after a while. And we have to figure out our ways to, you know, drop that load sometimes so that we're not always carrying that. But that's one of the interesting things about too, that's a challenge and an opportunity is we do naturally pick up on emotions, pick up on feelings, we're naturally empathetic. We're naturally sensitive and compassionate. Um, we want everybody to have a seat at the table. We don't want anybody to be left out. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's part of our gift and sometimes our curse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is is there anything else that you think of like that that just comes really naturally to it too? Um we're includers, you know. I, th- I think that's that's when I'll, I'll say. Here's something that really locked me into knowing that I was a two. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in a seminar that Suzanne was teaching, and she said, here's, here's two things about twos that you got to know. I thought, bingo, these two things are right. Number one, twos want every single person to have a seat at the table. Um, and they don't really want to sit at the table if other people are excluded. Now, just think about how difficult it's been for twos during this last political season, just knowing that. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, that just is a thing <laughs> because this is all, yeah. uh, this is a season all about, you know, nobody can sit at my table. Yep. Um, the second thing is 
twos want to be involved with centered set communities, not bounded set communities. And here's what that means. A centered set community is a community that is always orienting toward a center, but there's lots of different people all around the edges, lots of people with different thoughts, different beliefs, different ways. A bounded set community knows itself by, are you keeping the rules of this community? Mm-hmm. Twos, it's very hard for twos to keep rules for themselves and keep rules for other people. You know, Caleb, <laughs> think about twos. Um, we sometimes, when I, when I teach about ones, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about how ones will privilege behavior over relationships, which means that it's hard sometimes for ones to, you know, feel good about relationships with other people. If the other person's behavior doesn't meet the mark, yeah. twos are the opposite. Twos privilege relationships over behavior, which means that if we're not careful, twos are natural born enablers and natural born codependents. Yeah. And, um, and we have to pay attention to that. And, and for a lot of twos, a lot of twos have to walk through kind of a lifelong journey of overcoming codependent uh, behavior, you know, things and um, codependent tendencies so that's something that not everybody knows about twos, but but that we we naturally, you know, we can fall into those traps of enabling and codependent relationships because we're so relationally oriented. And at the end of the day, we will do anything we can to keep the relationship intact. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like questions or practices that you either use for yourself or that you coach other twos through that that help help you or help? Other people identify, hey, I think you are you are leaning into a codependent relationship or you're over-identifying with this person. Absolutely. I have to. I have to have lots of little, <laughs> lots of little helpers and guides for me because yeah. it's a lifelong journey. So so here's here's some questions that I I I journal about and I yeah. ask myself. Number one, is this mine to do? That's the that's the big question. Is this mine to do? Because twos are so busy doing things that they've never stopped to evaluate. Is this mine to do? Number two, what is this costing me? Because whenever I go chase somebody, whenever I go help somebody, whenever I go attend someone else's needs, it's costing me something. Every yes has an accompanying no. Anytime I say yes, sure, I'll be there. Sure. I'd love to do that. Sure. I'd love to be involved with that with you. I'm saying no to something else. And I've got to learn to, to answer for myself. What are those no's? What is this costing me? And a couple other questions. Um, twos have got to ask, am I the centerpiece of this person's life? And am I the centerpiece of this community? And if I am the centerpiece, am I the centerpiece in a way that is manipulative and controlling? or in a way that is loving and freeing. Because here's the thing with twos. Twos are glue players. They're centerpieces. They are indispensable parts of people that they love's lives. But you can do that in a way that's manipulative and controlling and make sure that all the spokes in the wheel point back to me and make sure that I'm kind of in control of the relationship. Or you can do that in a way that blesses other people to be free and is loving. And you've got to learn to answer those questions. Um, and really practically, Caleb, you know, there's this yeah. Melody Beatty is this great author who writes about codependence and helping people overcome that. She's got a great book called The Language of Letting Go. And she's got these little cards uh, that are that are beautiful. There's like 50 cards and they've got a little quotation from that book. 
And I keep those cards on my kitchen counter and I, and I choose one each day. And yeah. in, in a way, they're all focused on um, creating boundaries, on overcoming codependent personality behaviors and traits, and of making sure that your needs are met and identified and valued. Mm-hmm. Are there, or what are, what are some of the uh, healthy behaviors that can help with uh, with the preventative stuff for twos? Yeah. Well, you know, doctor heal thyself, right? You know, putting on your own oxygen mask <laughs> before you put on other people's. Yeah. So, so any any way that a two can attend to their own feelings and attend to their own needs is going to make you a healthier friend and is going to make you a healthier, more boundary loved one. If I am keeping my own boundaries and I am making sure that my needs are met, then I'm not going to be as likely to step across your boundary and, you know, help you with something you haven't even asked me to help with and maybe create a big mess. And so, you know, one thing for two scale, that sounds really silly, but it's just, you know, spending time alone. Twos, twos are always kind of oriented to doing things in a group or in a community or in a relationship. And we don't naturally take enough time alone to just, you know, take an inward journey. And just doing that, just, just pencil, you know, calendaring in time alone to take an inward journey and get in touch with your thoughts, your feelings all of that is, is the building block. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I want to ask you about is, uh, subtypes and everything, whenever it comes to the different twos, Uh um, and just kind of how, how do you see each of them playing out a little Mm -hmm. bit differently whenever it comes to each and then just any other thoughts that you have in regards to two subtypes? Oh, I love that question. I, this is important to talk about with two scale. I'm so glad you, well, I I was, I was going to say, that's the thing that has helped me the most, like in understanding because, uh, like I am a, I'm a self-preservation three. Okay. And so, you know, with you're not, you know, I don't present necessarily as a three <laughs> sure, with my behavior sure. and yeah. everything, but the motivation is most definitely there. Right. You know, so the thing with subtypes is number one, Suzanne and I both agree that subtypes are all about balance. Mm-hmm. And so you recognize at any given moment, one of them is leading the dance. You know, yeah. so as you said, you know, at the moment in this season of life, self-preserving is the one that just you kind of hook into that's taking the lead. Yeah. For me, um, a lot of times it's, you know, the sexual subtype has kind of been the leader for me, you know, for yeah. my life in most seasons. But the the goal with subtypes is to find balance mm-hmm. and to to use the sexual subtype for one-to-one relationships, to use the social subtype at work, and to use the self-preserving subtype at home. Mm-hmm. And and where we where we create suffering in our lives is when we get out of balance and we, you know, are just over relying on one of those. So every two is going to have some season of their life where social was the highest. It's just supposed yeah. to rule um, because the social subtype is so similar to some of the core motivating factors and distinctions of what it means. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, every two has an invitation to always bring up the self-preserving. Yeah. Self-preserving is usually living in the basement. For not for every two. I, I know a few where self-preserving is 
led the dance. But those are those are more the exception than the rule. And so for most twos, they have to make sure they spend time figuring out what would it be like for me to bring self-preserving into balance. Mm. Um, now, sexual. So let's just talk about the three subtypes real quick. Yeah. For sexual twos have to watch the most um, out for enabling codependent behaviors because sexual twos are bringing all of their relational energy and directing it usually toward one person or a very small number of people, which means that those twos can get really enmeshed in someone else and lose their whole sense of identity in another person. Mm -hmm. And you're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointments when that other person turns their attention somewhere else or turns their affection somewhere else. And then sexual twos have a big crash. Um, Sexual twos can sometimes be a lot for the other person because that's, you know, if the other person isn't a sexually dominant subtype, that can be a whole lot to Mm -hmm. receive and figure out how do I, how do I hold all this? If you're the other person, you know, social twos, you know, are sometimes more like the mayor, you know, they're, they're kind of, they've got a (laughs) group of people that they're attending to. A bigger group of people, and that can be that can be healthy because it's not all your all your relational emotional intensity as a two is not focused maybe just on one or two people, and that can be helpful to spread it around. Yeah. Um, you know, so social twos are not are are more similar to threes mm-hmm. um, because you know they're reading a room a little bit more. They're interested in kind of how the group is perceiving them. They're wanting to make sure they're kind of successful in their group. Um, and self-preserving twos are a little bit rare. You know, it's like when you see one, you've seen a, uh, you know, a, an animal in the wild. <laughs> you see. Um, but for all of us twos, we have an invitation. You know, I think in a, in a healthy way, there would hopefully be some season of life where self-preserving would dominate. And self-preserving would rise up because, you know, subtypes shift. They shift based on, in a way, environmental factors. You know, you may, you may have some experience that shifts you into a different subtype being dominant for that season. And self, you know, if, if you are a self-preserving two, then sometimes when I talk to self-preserving twos, they say, I don't feel like I'm a two anymore. I think I'm a five. <laughs> you know, and of course we, <laughs> We have to talk to, well, you know, your yeah. number doesn't change, but, um, but self-preserving two-ness is a good place. It's a place where, you know, a two can finally stop for a minute and make sure that you have saved for retirement. Make sure that you have, uh, you know, focused on your own health and not overgiven. Um, and so, so, you know, but the thing about subtypes, Caleb, yeah, is because it's about balance, it means that we get into trouble when if I bring the, the sexual subtype to my work, mm-hmm. that can cause problems, right? Because if, yeah. I, if I'm supposed to be working with a big group of people and working with a team, but I've got all my intensity and energy focused on one person, I've created a problem. Mm-hmm. But also, if I bring the self-preserving subtype to my closest loved one and my relationship at home, then I could also cause problems too, because that's when I'm supposed to be bringing, you know, maybe something else. So, so we've just got to watch in the, in the journey of balance, Yeah. what subtype is showing up in what moments. Mm-hmm. And that's part of our journey. And as twos, 
you know that social and sexual are usually going to lead the dance. Yeah. Um, and, and it's probably going to be your life journey to figure out what would it look like to bring up the self-preserving subtype. Yeah. I absolutely love that language that you're using with it just because like, I just think of, uh, you know, it requires us like maybe, maybe balancing out our subtype requires us to grow and to lean more into another subtype than what comes natural for it us. Does. You know, the, in the Enneagram um, wings are one of those disciplines where it's a little bit of a, just kind of comes <laughs> yeah. and it's not so much about, something that you need to go do and, you know, you need to go figure out how you get a big two wing or something, or I need to go figure out how I get a big one wing. Um, But subtypes are not that. Subtypes are an invitation for growth and an invitation for transformation. So we, you know, the Enneagram is all about non-judgmental self-awareness. So we start with just being aware of where we are and recognizing, hey, this is the subtype that's leading the dance for me right now. There's no judgment about that. None of they're not good or bad. Just like there's no good or bad Enneagram numbers. They just is. But then that's your first step to say, okay, so now that I've recognized what's leading, how do I make sure that whatever is trailing is not totally forgotten about and is not unattended to? Yeah. Um, One of the things I, like I mentioned, uh, my friend Todd is a two. And I asked him, Hey, is there anything that you would like me to ask? And he said, help me understand why I have all of these feelings that there's nothing I could do about. And I would just, uh, do you just have any other thoughts just in relation to what, what do you think drives all of this need to have, you know, be so attuned with everybody else's feelings? Yeah. So, you know, I love that, Caleb. What I would say, one is want to talk to Todd about is I would say, number one, if the feelings that you're recognizing right now are your own, you are doing really well and are really healthy as a two. Mm-hmm. Because the journey, the lifelong journey for twos is to make sure that the feelings that you are processing, experiencing, and living in are your feelings and not the feelings of someone else. Yeah. But if the feelings that you, you notice as a two are actually ones that you're picking up from other people, then you've got to figure out how do I do some boundary work to pay attention to my own feelings? You know, how do I, how do I check in with myself? How do I ask myself, how do I discover what is it that I feel? What is it that I need? And how do I make sure that's really true and not just what I've picked up from you? Yeah. Um, And, and it's, it's a little bit of a mystery, Caleb, you know, there's no, there's no silver bullet to it. Um, it starts with awareness and it starts with recognition and it starts with language. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned in the book is I went and saw that Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks, yeah. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which was such a good movie. And as, as Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers, he's around the bedside of a man who's dying at one point. And the family is not wanting to admit that their father's dying, you know, so they're doing all the dad, when you get better, we're going to go to Disney world, you know, all this stuff. And of course, Mr. Rogers and his wisdom recognizes this. And it, and at some break in the conversation, he says, what can be mentioned can be managed. Mm-hmm. And for twos, your lifelong journey is feel is figuring out how to mention your feelings so that you can learn how to manage them. Because as long as your feelings go unmentioned, they will be unmanaged. Mm. And they will 
either be repressed or pushed down or, you know, causing just internal angst or they'll get expressed to other people sideways and will cause relationship problems, which is, of course, the last thing you want to do as a two. And so we've got to figure out how to mention our own feelings and figure out how to know the difference between the feelings that we're feeling that are other people's and the feelings that we're feeling that are ours. And you have to get by yourself to do it. You have to spend enough time on your own long enough to really get to the heart of the heart of the heart. And I think it takes some kind of a spiritual practice, whether that's contemplative prayer, whether that's walking a labyrinth, you know, whatever spiritual practices a person can build into their life is where that inward work can happen. For the person who, you know, is in a relationship with the two or has a friendship with the two, what advice would you give to that person? Like, mm-hmm. hey, keep keep these things in mind. These might be some good things to do. Number one, remember that twos are verbal processors. So sometimes the things that they say, after they say them, they realize they don't even agree with it. So don't don't always you know, let them verbally process, but don't, you don't always have to take it as, you know, what they're saying is written in stone. They may, they may kind of process their way to telling you what they really want or what they really feel and what they say they want or feel at first may not be the truth. They may have to verbally process to it. So if you're in a relationship with a two, one of the ways you can love a two is let them verbally process. Um, And the other thing you've got to know is if you are, if you are always asserting, you know, your needs, your feelings, what you want, and not making enough room for the two to take the time to discover what they need or feel, you're taking up, you're taking up all the space and the two is going to let you take up all the space. And so you have to push it twos a little bit. You, you know, some of the people that, that love me the most get frustrated because they say, I have to ask you 10 times, are you okay before you'll tell me the truth? And, you know, that's on me and I've got to do better at that. Yeah. But people who, people who love twos, you kind of know, sometimes you have to ask 10 times mm-hmm. and, um, and it may be on the ninth or 10th time before the two really is able and feels the freedom to tell you the truth about how they're doing or how they're feeling or what they want. Yeah. Um, and, and that can be frustrating, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but but it's um, the first time you ask me, I, I'm wired to say, I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Caleb? Let's talk about you. Yeah. Um, and if you love a two, you know, don't take that, don't take that first answer. <laughs> yeah. Push a little bit more. Push on us a little bit. Yeah. Is, the, is there anything else that comes to mind that might be helpful for people who are in a relationship with twos? Well, um, you know, we need to know that the relationship is safe and intact. So here's what you got to know. If, if we're having a conflict, if we've got to have an argument or we've got to have a disagreement or there's got to be criticism or something like that in the relationship, that's okay. But you've got to know that we interpret conflict and disagreement and arguments. We interpret those as potentially destroying the relationship. You may not. You know, there's some numbers that Actually, uh, disagreements is energizing. Oh, it, oh, yeah. You know, it means that we both care and we're both yep. in it. For the two, it's draining. And so it, so if it happens and we do have a conflict and we do have a disagreement or we have an argument, you've got to circle back to the two 
to let them know, hey, we're still, I'm still here. This relationship is still together. This argument hasn't torn us apart. In fact, it's brought us closer because the two is going to go to a whole spiral in their mind um, and catastrophize. And we, and sometimes we need you to come back and get us after there's been an argument or after there's been a disagreement. Mm-hmm. Is there anything about type twos, and this could be like all over the spectrum, you know, we talk about subtypes or anything like that to your like, to where you think, I wish this was talked about more whenever it came to type twos. That's a great, uh, I love that question. (laughs) Um, You know, I think, um, I wish that for type twos, People realize that type twos are resilient. And what I mean by that is sometimes people caricature twos as kind of, you know, being a flower that can wilt based on relationships all the time. And type twos are resilient and type twos do have um, a deep interior experience, but Type twos are just so oriented against conflict that it can feel like um, that we are melting or wilting in the face of conflict, but that there's really a resilience there. There is an inner core. There is an inner identity that type twos have and, and that type, type twos are true to their North star. You know, they're not, they're not shifting and reshaping always to just be what needs to be done. Um, But they are bending because type twos, you know, at the end of the day, we'll change our mind, we'll change our belief, we'll Mm -hmm. change our heart, and we'll change our rules to allow a relationship to flourish. And that's our gift. But, you know, it's something that we've got to watch as well. Mm -hmm. One one final thing I want to ask you about is uh, how... How have you grown through your discovery of the Enneagram and diving into your type? Gosh, let me count the ways. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the beautiful thing, Caleb, I think the Enneagram represents a um, lifetime of work. And so if people really like it and hook into it, you can never tap the depths of it all, you know? And so I'll just pick an example. One of the things that the Enneagram tells you is that twos are oriented to the present. Mm -hmm. Well, when I learned that, when I have have really focused on that and done work about that, that has motivated me to figure out how to actually be a good setter of goals and meter of goals. Before I just had that language, before I knew just to even – before I even knew that about myself, that I, you know, I'm a responder, I'm oriented to the present, you know, all yeah. ones, twos, and sixes are present oriented people. Yeah. Now that I know that I've built in some things in my life to make sure that I'm actually setting goals and meeting goals and bar working toward goals without that language. I thought I was meeting goals. I thought I was setting goals, but um, just even that orientation to time language is something that can help with yeah. Enneagram wisdom. So, and that's just one example, you know, whether it's subtypes, whether it's thinking, feeling, doing, whether it's head, heart, gut, whether it's past, present, future, your Enneagram number tells you where you are most likely to get out of balance. 
Yeah. And then there's where the work happens. Yeah. Well, Hunter, I know that people are going to want to, you know, pick up 40 days to be in a two, uh, whether they're, they are a two or they have someone. Yeah, yeah I, right. I hope, you know, the, the beautiful thing about this whole series over the next 12 months, all nine yeah. uh, volumes will be released. And what I hope people will do is ultimately, if people will read all nine, yep. that will give you such a beautiful articulation of, of what it's like to live inside of each number. And um, so I'm excited to read all the others too, as they come out to, to hear somebody who is each number um, describe themselves. So I think it'll be a fun journey. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Caleb. It's been great to meet you and great to be here. Well, hey, if you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast, the best way to make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast is by subscribing to this podcast on whatever podcast player you use, whether that be Spotify or Apple podcast or Stitcher or literally any any type of thing that you listen to, just go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Um, and if if something really stood out to you about this podcast, or if you're just super excited about something that you're learning, whether that be a podcast or a book, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to reach out is via Instagram. And my handle is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you um, and just kind of the things that you're learning from as well. Thanks to Hunter for also being on the podcast as well. And thanks for Garrett and Sam for making the podcast even more awesome uh, than it is. And so thank you both for um, for just all that you do and helping make the Learner's Corner what it is. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And my name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. <laughs>